and welcome to the second episode ever of Trash Talk, Every Frame a Dumpster Fire. God, I, I have a hard time with that every time. We're getting there, though. Um, I am TK, a.k.a. Trash, a.k.a. creator of all things Trash, the streams, everything. I'm joined today by my co-host, Eric. Hello. And we are going to be talking about the 2021 rendition of Dune. Wait a sec. I thought we were going to be talking about the 1984 David Lynch version. No. Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. I'll I'll give it my best shot, but uh-huh. I know and love the 1984 version. Sure. Didn't you? I literally asked you, and you said you didn't like it very much. I mean, I'm. it has a lot going for it. I mean, it has Sting in a giant golden Speedo diaper and a flying Baron Harkonnen, which is... Pretty great, honestly. I don't know but, how to feel about either either of those things. Uh, it's it's a bunch of confused feelings. Trust me. It's like when you watch Labyrinth and there's David Bowie. Confused that, that feelings. That is the first parallel I thought of when you're like talking about a man in a sting in a giant golden. I'm like, this sounds like some Labyrinth. There's thing. there's confusion <laughs> in a whole bunch of senses. But you know what isn't confusing at all in the slightest is Dinas Villanueva's 2021 Dune. It's not confusing because I found it a little confusing. I'm being completely sarcastic. It is. Uh-huh. It is certainly confusing, um, even to. Well, what I'm curious about, I've I've read the books. I'm mm-hmm. I'm familiar with a lot of the Dune sort of universe and mythos. I absolutely love it, and I am so excited that this movie is made. But what I'm curious about is the impressions of someone who's never seen it before, because the movie doesn't go into a lot of details about. The, the backstory, the characters, their motivation, whereas in the books, you get extensive appendices of, you know, a, a dictionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have all the factions. You have, like, journal entries by some mm-hmm. of the characters talking about, you know, the factions and all of that. You don't get that in this movie. And even yep. though it's two and a half hours, a whole bunch of details are sort of sort of glossed over. So I'm sort of curious what your impressions or, or questions are about this universe and its characters. So to start, as always... I, I'm going to give it, I think, seven sheen beans out of ten. Slightly above average. So slightly above average. Better than Stargate. It's not, yeah, better than Stargate, but um, I imagine you gave it, like, significantly higher. Uh, for me, this is eight and a half, nine. Yeah. I, I think this is a absolutely spectacular spectacle of, it, of it, immense it proportions. It movies that it may climb to an eight. Or higher if I rewatch it a few more times. I mean... As a film, it's definitely flawed, and it is not the most accessible. You can tell, like, well, especially knowing that there was a, a, there was a book and a previous movie, but there was, that it is based off a book, you can tell. It is both highly dense with information and also a little bit lacking in in information yes that's not necessarily my problem with it that was all right i figured it out i did watch this with a friend who i think had a little bit more difficulty following it which is fair enough it's 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 a dense and confusing movie uh, together we talked about it as we were watching and sort of figured it out. I think what made it the most difficult to follow is that it is so dense, there's so much to follow. It didn't do a fantastic job, in my opinion, of telegraphing 
when we were in dreamland and when we weren't what and 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 understanding the visions and what's happening in them yeah whereas that's much easier to get across in text for the longest time dune was written in 1965 and for the longest time there was interest in doing uh film adaptations like throughout the 70s we eventually got one in 84 with david lynch's but dune was called unadaptable for you know for reasons that included being like so dense and jam-packed with information as well as so many of the set pieces are just gargantuan and scale. Yeah. it's very difficult to portray something like you know the 400 meter long sandworms yes. um in in you know true cinematic fashion particularly before the age of 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 digital digital effects and yeah. even you know after that it Good took us you know effects. 25 years to to get a proper adaptation but what is dune about at its core what sort of story do we got to work with dune is it's almost like it's got two stories mm. i feel like it's got it's got the story that is um, that almost feels a little bit warhammer 40k esque yeah you've got the emperor who's in charge of everything he is the emperor. Thanks, Brain. And on top, I, I, but underneath him, you've got the dukes. Yeah, the right you term? got the five houses. Five. Houses. I, I forget the name of all of them, but those include the Atreides, who are the ones that we follow, and their sworn rivals, the Harkonnens. Yes. And they basically have these space kingdoms. They have large swaths of the galaxy that they control and have carved out for them. You know, they have their homeworld, and they have this sort of sphere of influence, and they all have like an uneasy peace among each other. But, you know, there there are power struggles and politics they, and all they of that. Very much have a a a piece under the Emperor of Sorts. And it feels and this this part of the story or this one storyline within this movie is yeah, it's very very imperialistic. It really fits with or feels a lot like a story you could tell in like imperial britain in certain eras mm -hmm. where you've got maybe especially during the colonial era where maybe you could see a situation where the royal family the emperor the the queen the king feels threatened by the amount of money and power that is being accumulated by, for example, the Hudson Bay Company. And that's exactly what's going on and here. The The Emperor fears the growing power of the Atreides because they have the most powerful military. And, you know, getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit, um, they are sent to Arrakis basically in order to die, in order yeah. to be eliminated at the Emperor's uh, behest. So core core to this universe is is Spice. It what is, is spice about a psychoactive element that is core to the universe functioning as it does again in almost a a forty k kind of way whereas in 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 warhammer forty k to be able to travel faster than light to be able to do interstellar travel, they have actual essentially like myth like like magical psychics that that help them travel through this like subspace isn't the right term but they have this other 
way of traveling that you have to be a, a psychic to. In this, in Dune, it's you have to use the psychoactive dust to be able to navigate through whatever means to travel through faster than light travel or whatever to be able to travel and interstellar. A very specific faction has sole control over this called the Spacefaring Guild. And they basically control space travel for, for all of the houses. They facilitate it. Uh, all of it has to go through them. Um, yeah, they control the spice. And as a result of all of this, spice is the most valuable substance in the universe because it's what makes space travel and, you know, mankind's dominion of the stars possible in the first place. And it is only found on the planet Arrakis. And it is, at the beginning of the film, controlled by the Harkonnens, who have been made unimaginably wealthy and powerful due to this but at the beginning of the film they're ordered off the planet um by the emperor and the emperor then appoints house atreides uh to to take over it and that is where we find another element of the story which is the coming of age story of paul atreides the son of duke leto atreides who are played by timothy chalamet and uh, oscar isaac respectively and that's the second storyline the first is the Emperor doesn't like House Atreides. We get grand space politics, and then we get... Messiah complex. And then we get... Exactly. That's basically the name of the second movie. <laughs> or, pardon me, the second book. Um. So, yeah, we've got the whole... The Emperor knows that if he if he kicks one the, the, the one family off of the planet and gives control to this other family, it will spark a war between the two, thus reducing both families' powers, mainly the family that he's giving control to, mm -hmm. so that they will never gain enough power to overthrow him and control everything. Yeah, the Atreides are getting too powerful out of the five, uh, five, five houses. He eliminates them, and yes, at the same time, reduces the power of the Harkonnens. Um, it, it's, it's a win-win well, for, for the Space well, Emperor, also... and also a win for the Harkonnens. While also being seemingly some of the most morally sound people in this universe. Correct. They are here to take over this planet. But not but in a it, way like the colonizers, like the Harkonnens did. They, they, they very much, they're here to get spice. That's it. They are here to negotiate a functional peace with the The, the, the native inhabitants, the, the, the Fremen. Whereas the Harkonnens were openly hostile and sort of hunted them, the the Atreides are far more open in their negotiations. Want to be coexisting, they want you know a mutual benefit between the two groups. They want to groups. respect their lands as much as is possible within the realm of gathering the dust. Exactly the the spice. They're 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 benevolent exploiters. Yes. Um, and then we get the second storyline, which is that. And this is where the movie lacks some information. There's the head of this house. His wife is part of some... It's some sort. They're, they're not form. married. Okay. Uh, Duke Leto Atreides is, you know, yeah, the duke. He owns the... He's, he's the head of the household. He's the patriarch. And he has his consort with whom he has a child. His consort is Jessica. And she's part of this ancient convent of mystical space nuns called yeah. the Bene Gesserit, who have sort of low-level psychic abilities. They have a power called the Voice, where they can basically speak and command you to do an action. Basically overrides your, your rational thought, gets to your subconscious, and you just sort yes. of act sort of like in a trance-like state. Together, they, they have a son. At some point in the movie, they reveal 
that yes, it, well, so the, the 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 Duke and his consort, they're ba- like she's basically his wife. Like they just act, act like husband and wife. Like yes, I I legitimately didn't know that it wasn't just his wife. I missed that bit because like they sleep in the same bed, they have dinner together, they have a they, kid. they clearly care for each other. Like mm-hmm. they they're basically married, but because of the universe they're in, it's it's, it's part of its different. politics. Yeah. yeah. Um. Their son takes after his mother in that he does have access to these powers. He ha- is capable of, of accessing the voice. And at some point through through the movie, they reveal that this these space nuns have sort of a prophecy that one of them will give birth to... To a the, male, yes. A male who is destined to be the Messiah. The Kwisatz Haderach, a being of extraordinary mental powers who can bend space and time. And we don't get full details of what the heck this means, how they're going about it, but they're a huge power faction in this galaxy. And they, you know, they they basically marry, they're basically (laughs) intermingling bloodlines and and trying to produce this, this individual. And Jessica who is only instructed to bear daughters ends up deciding to bear a son and apparently they can control to some extent I, to, to, it, to the fullest extent the gender of their child yeah it wasn't clear to me whether when when it was revealed that she was only supposed to bear daughters and she disobeyed that she has a choice it, as, it, as far it, as i remember the they book, have a choice they make it clear that they actually have it's not like a it's not like a you're pregnant oh it's a son go have an abortion it's like <laughs> it's like a you can control what yeah, it is yeah. through which through their psychic abilities i guess kind of makes sense and he is he is the messiah and throughout the movie we find out i guess that he's a would-be messiah he's, he's tested right at the beginning yeah. and this is how the book opens up with the trial of the gum jabbar which sounds ridiculous and it will sound even more ridiculous but you put, a, you, you put your hand yeah. in a box and it administers extraordinary pain and uh, this is administered by the Reverend Mother, the sort of leader of the Bene Gesserits. And uh, the risk, the thing that they fear is that, uh, you know, the, the son that, that will be brought about, uh, any sort of male heirs to the Bene Gesserits, will not be able to control his powers, will basically just be too, too volatile. And they, they fear, fear someone like this, who has access to their powerful abilities but can't control them. Uh, so she administers the test. And in the book, it's Paul that recites the litany of fear, which was the, which was what Jessica recites in the film. It's the you know I, I I will not fear. I will you know, look at my fear, let it pass through me or let it pass over me. I will look behind me, and then only me will remain. Whatever it is, I it, it's yeah. not entirely clear in the movie, and I totally forget what it is. Um, but it's 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 basically sort of that recurring sort of mantra that that comes up in the books, and you know the the whole test of the Reverend Mother that she does to Paul is she basically finds out that, yeah, this, this, this boy can control himself. He's not just an animal in a trap with, and that is one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie. I, I think it's so tremendously effective. We get the disorientation where the Reverend mother uses the voice on Paul to command him and, uh, and, uh, and, and Paul's Paul's trial. And uh, we get to see uh, Jessica fear for the life of her, of her son. It's, it's 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 a great scene. It reminds me the whole idea of they have this ability to control people. 
And it reminds me of something that probably came after the book, because the book came out in the 60s, I do not believe. But there's a series of books, and a, and as someone who doesn't read a lot for reasons, a TV series that I quite like called The Legend of the Seeker. And in that, there are there's a character, or characters, called the truth seers that's not the right term but basically they are a group of women who can tell when you're lying their their first power is if you tell me a lie i know and their second is that if i put my hand on you i basically brainwash you into being my servant you do whatever i say and they in a less happy way, don't have control over over their what gender their child is, but can only have children who are female because the males go mad with power. It's a similar element in the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan in those those books. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they're both pulling from from Dune to to some extent because it was a tremendously influential science fiction book. But yeah, I just thought of that. Um, yeah, it's it's they introduced the idea of the voice and sort of the prophecy and what's going on, and I kind of got it, but it was a little bit fuzzy. And slowly, as the movie goes on, it's starting to make a little bit more sense. I think by the end, it's clear what's happening. And just the nature of... Would you say that the end of the movie lines up with the end of the first book? No. Uh, the film ends at a little after the halfway point of the book. That's what I suspected from the way it ends. Because it really ends with... And this is one of the complaints I've heard from other people who have seen it in a way. It ends at the start of something big. Yes, absolutely. And... The one complaint that I have heard from a few people I have talked to about this, in a way, is that it's the start of something big that's going to involve heavily the character played by Zendaya. Yes. she's she's She has a full, like, 10 or 12 minutes in the film, but she's, like, splattered all across the trailers, and she's exactly. one of the most influential And I know characters. a number of people who don't know a lot about Dune, who maybe don't know anything about Dune, who went and saw the movie because they saw Zendaya and went, She's fantastic. I need to see this movie. Mm -hmm. And then two hours and 15 minutes in, they're like, where the heck is Zendaya? <laughs> oh, she just showed up? Oh, the movie's over in 10 minutes? God damn it. Right? The next one. The next one will be an improvement. She she features heavily, and, and so does Jessica as well uh, in the second half. There are some interesting power struggles between uh, I'm, between I'm, the three of them. I'm sad we lost Aquaman, though. I know, right? Um, Going back to the episode that we just recorded... Aquaman, a.k.a. What's his name in this Dave movie? Dave Bautista? Who plays... No, 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 not Dave Bautista. Uh, Gurney Halleck? Gurney Halleck, Aquaman. Dave Bautista plays... Oh, no, sorry, that's Jaws Brolin. His, no, no, uh, yeah. His name is... His name is um, I know Duncan it. Duncan Idaho. Nope. It's, 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 it's Jason Momoa. Right. Jason who, Momoa. Who plays Duncan Idaho, yes. Who plays Duncan Idaho. Who plays Aquaman. Yes. The first time I saw him anything, he plays Ronan in Stargate Atlantis <laughs> and does How a fantastic job. I, I love it. He's my one of my favorite characters from that series. 
just because he does he does the thing that he does in all movies. He's a he's a buff, angry guy that kills a, that that is very good at fighting. The role he was born to play, it seems. Um, I actually like the the. I like the role he plays in this and a, and so, somewhat in Aquaman. He does a really good job of being a very capable fighter, but he doesn't have to play a character who's angry all the time. He plays a character with, all, I think, a decent amount of range. You see his and... soft side. He has a great deal of affection for for Paul, and it, uh, and they seem to have a have a, almost, have a good it, relationship. He he plays it well in this, and he plays it somewhat in Aquaman. But they 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 sort of play on. I think now I'm like skirting the line of what I'm what I'm sort of comfortable having opinions on because it's not my place but i don't know the or like what his familial origin is but i know he grew up in hawaii mm-hmm. and it feels like they the the characters that he plays often the the relationships that he has with other people are that sort of stereotypical hawaiian brotherly love mm. or polynesian brotherly love right and he does a really good job of that, and that's sort of how it is with him, and and the and the the Messiah. There's a teddy bearish quality to him. He can also kick some serious ass. Yes, which is on full so. display in this film. But uh, so much of this film is is dedicated to world building, as it is in the book. Yes. Like the whole like first half of the book is introducing us to the technology, the politics, and um, and like the the. The, the relationships of the characters. So we're introduced to a whole bunch of other members of House Atreides, of uh, of, of Paul's uh, father, mother, and his close relationships. So one of the earlier scenes that we get um, is uh, is the um, is the entourage of the Emperor coming in and basically saying to Paul's father, "You now control Arrakis. Get ready to move. <laughs> Enjoy." Yeah. You you get to move from this you know beautiful British Isles style planet to this harsh, unforgiving harsh desert. desert wasteland with and giant, giant worms that are one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in a movie. Prepare yourself. The the fucking yeah. The oh teeth, oh, the there are some are... even more terrifying designs of the sandworms. There's like the H.R. Giger designs that uh, that Jodorowsky's Dune uh, was going to go for. I'll, I'll have to show you some of those, uh, but it will get more terrifying. But an early scene is that Paul talks to his father um, on their home planet as they're preparing to leave. And uh, it's it's through this like um, not, mausoleum, this sort of row of gravestones. And they basically have this talk about about lineage and, and family. And, you know, Paul's worried about the legacy that he's going to inherit. And his father says, yeah, I had the same concerns you do. You know, a great man is called to lead. You know, he isn't always ready for the position. He doesn't always think he'll do a good job, but by gum, you gotta, you gotta buck up and, and, and do it. Um, uh, sort of almost Uncle Ben kind of way. Mm. Great power, great responsibility. Um, but it's it's good to see that. I don't remember that, that conversation in the book, but um, uh, Oscar Isaac, the father, basically says, you know, he wanted to be a fighter pilot, but through circumstances had to take over the the role as the the head of the house after after his father Paul's grandfather uh, passed away, and that sort of becomes a, a sort of recurring recurring theme. How Paul has to like you know grow the grow the hell up very very quickly. Paul's con- canonically like fifteen years old. Yeah, that fits in this book um, or in this film. 
I'm going to step back a bit to something that you mentioned a little bit ago about how this movie is very big on world building and introducing the technology. Yes. And that's one that I wanted to touch on. There is an extreme lack of technology in this movie in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, there's a lack of technology. I love some of the... It's a combination of, I'm sure, that like the book lays out how some of it works and some of the effects that they did. So I'm sure the book... I don't know how much detail it would give. Maybe it would, but the the way that the per, like they have these personal shields. Yes. The visual effect that they use for these personal shields was simple, very effective, and not anything like anything I've seen elsewise for any kind of shield device like that. It, I've never it, it never seen that approach, and I thought it was very very good. Yes. And the shields are also the reason why um, most, um, like, guns and artillery like that isn't used in this universe. Everyone seems to have, like, melee weapons, swords and spears, because is that artillery is ineffective against those those sorts mm -hmm. of shields. I forget all the details, but it's something to do about, like, vibrating wavelengths and stuff like that. Bullets can't really pierce. Darts fits will with the pierce eventually. Effect that they have. Yeah, yeah. The sort of a vibrational... Yeah, like it, it just it just tears through bullets, whereas like bladed weapons go through, um, darts go through eventually. Um, there's a scene that illustrates that in the film um, later on, where you know a, a dart pushing on the shield for long enough eventually gets through. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the reason why, and I'm sure many people have the question as to why the hell aren't they using guns in the year ten thousand? When they literally, when in a way they are, there's there's the grand scale. There's the artillery, like the laser. Laser the lasers cuts, yeah. and the cannons in general, and then there's the the every all the gra all the foot soldiers are fighting with swords, yes. basically. Yeah. Um, the other one that I was going to touch on, and I'm sure it's laid out in the book this way, but still, just the the way they did it, the the aircraft, the 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 dragonflies, the dragon, the ornithopters. Yes, in the book, it refers to them in it refers to them as bird like. That's all you get. That's all you get. It's the only descriptor that Frank Herbert gives. See, these are all these are significantly more dragonfly like than bird like, yeah, I think, yeah. and I love them. I, I love them that, too. I thought that the, the idea and the design was super cool. When I saw them I, I, I gasped in the theaters. I'm like, ooh, that's such a cool design. It was, it was really good. One of the things that I was expecting through the whole movie that we didn't get. We got sort of the other, we got sort of the we got someone riding a worm. Yes, a yes. I was fully expecting, especially after the scene of the 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 something mother that is in charge of all the space nuns, when she goes to visit Jabba the Hutt, basically, yeah, yeah, the bad guys, Baron Harkonnen. That's what that's what we've been calling him is Jabba because he's so big and gross. Oh yeah, yeah. And she commands his spider-like pet thing to leave with the voice. Mm -hmm. I was fully expecting someone to use the voice on a worm. <laughs> I, I was expecting it to be, for example, when they're out seeing how the how the 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 spice is collected, him and his father, and the worms coming, the lift to lift the collector isn't working. They're gonna land to try and save all the people on the ship, and the worm is coming, and and are they gonna make it back to the ship? I was expecting him to stand, hold his ground, and use the voice to stop the worm. Mm -hmm. Instead, he doesn't. He gets on the ship, and it never happens. And yes. I'm like. 
I, again, that's... I don't know if it would work on the worms. I don't think in that circumstance. The worms I don't think they have like traditional ears. Yeah, they don't have a and yeah. They sense vibrations. I I also I originally got the impression that it depended on the like they have to have a certain amount of higher level intelligence to be able to understand Maybe. it. Maybe, and, and I think it... the worms are like kind of pure instinct. Yeah. Which brings us also to the weird, the 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 interesting dance-like method of crossing the sand. Yes. That was... The ways of the Fremen. I know. It's, it's arhythmic. It's not meant to be predictable because, you know, the sandworms automatically sense unnatural desert movement and are drawn to it immediately. Anything, anything, anything too rhythmic. Yeah. Is unnatural because sandstorms aren't rhythmic. No, the wind across the dunes is, uh... Is either constant or random it's not rhythmic yeah so you have to be unrhythmic yes and that's just one of paul's many many tests many trials in this film he sort of has to adapt to his surroundings uh we get a couple scenes where he's learning all about like the desert ecology um he's of arrakis watching his his space vhs's he is yes with old school projector technology but like holographic projector technology. Yes. It's 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 still a flat image, but projected onto nothing. Well, relating to technology, um, there's no higher form artificial intelligence there in this whole universe. No. And the reason for that is that there was a big war that was fought. Like the, this universe had their own Skynet style uprising of intelligent computers. And at a certain point that was all outlawed. And there was a pivot to, like, the human mind as the ultimate, like, intelligence in the universe. And there are certain characters called Mentats, and they don't go into this movie, and they're basically human computers. Mm. I forget the actor's name, but um, early on, um, there's the guy whose sort of eyes sort of flip up. His irises go crazy, and he does the quick yeah. calculations, how much spice it took the uh, the Emperor's craft to get here. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're human computers. They can do calculations at... Um, at you know with ridiculous effectiveness and efficiency and each of the great houses has their own mentat um including the the harkonnens are on a similar note are all the doctors in this movie in this in this universe psychics is that how that works because there's the one the doctor that that the mother doctor you bringing in doesn't he just kind of like touches your head and does a, a psychic analysis of your abilities he's, he's what's called a souk doctor s-u-k and they're educated at this imperial academy and they're sort of indoctrinated brainwashed in a way um it's like the ultimate version of the hippocratic oath do no harm and they do no harm to their charges and it's so mentally conditioned and ingrained in them that they're sort of beyond suspicion beyond reproach which is why it's a surprise when dr ua betrays them uh, and they don't go into, like, any detail about this. They just say yeah. his, his wife was kidnapped by the Harkonnens. Well, you know, even if that, that happened, the mental conditioning would sort of kick in and uh, and um, and you would be totally loyal to uh, to the Atreides. But, you know, that, that sort of glossed over in this movie. And, and then he kinda... few of the people I talked to found it very confusing, which it absolutely is. And then he kind of... He kinda... Does a double double cross? He does. He has a contingency plan, which doesn't make any sense. He's still loyal to the Atreides, um, but at the same time, you know, loyal to his wife. It's these sort of conflicting duties that sort so, of uh, that results him, in bizarre behavior. Results in him doing something that's bad for everyone. Yes, because 
So he's loyal to the Atreides. So he convinces the Atreides to kill himself with poison gas, which also results in killing the people whose, whose I assume, soldiers have kidnapped his wife, which surely would result in the death of his wife as well. His wife was already dead by that point that he found okay. out, and then he See, was killed. See, I didn't know that. This was, yeah, yeah, the, 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 the Harkonnens like, killed his wife basically immediately. They had no plans of ever giving her right. up. They just wanted to, of so course, manipulate Dr. Yue. It was a revenge play, a contingency plan. Um, yeah, the, the conflicting duties, he he gave uh, Duke Leto the option of taking himself out as well as the Baron, because Dr. Yue still wants the Baron, you know, absolutely dead. But he'd hoped that his wife and his own life would be spared before that happened. You know, he thought he would be the victor in all this, but he was, he was the biggest fool. And he was the reason House Atreides falls. And so much of the book is focused on, like, the, the they're worried there's a traitor in their midst. And most people assume it's it's Jessica because she's, you know, Benny Gesserit. They're not entirely trustworthy. And so much of the book is on that, like, political intrigue that the movie really doesn't get into. The, you know, the betrayal happens, like, very I think, quickly. I think which is which is actually quite effective. It's it's For the purposes the of the movie, they probably, yeah, they went more of a... But the reasoning for it with Doctor Yue kind of yeah 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 it goes for the interesting for for because they which they, is quite a spectacle I yes. absolutely love that Harkonnen attack in this movie and I love the the well actually one thing that from that that again another piece of information that is missing from the movie or that at least I didn't catch among everything else um. Is it? It's 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 Thanos. The, yep, yep. <laughs> that actor. Yep. Did, that was training the boy. He's the arms the, master. The yeah, arms the weapons master. master. Does he make it through this movie or no? He does not. I didn't think so, but it, they don't ever show. They just show him like he's going into the fight, and then that's kind of the last you see. That's the last you see of him. That's the end of Gurney Halleck. It's far as i we recall kill off like all the good all my favorite characters in this. he might actually i think he might i think he lives that's what i'm not sure it's like they don't i, I don't clear, remember so, i'm sorry and, and i'm not sure if that was intentional or just just they like so that they can you know pro they make you think oh he probably died in that huge battle because we haven't seen him since and then he can come back in the next movie and you're like oh shit he's alive i or don't not. actually remember i'm afraid i guess i'll find out whenever the next one comes out <laughs> 2023 I know, right? You know what? 2022 is going to be an interesting year for movies anyways because there are so many movies that have been delayed that are supposed to come out this year. There's the new... There's uh, the prequel to the Kingsman mm -hmm. movies, for sure. Uh, the new Top Gun is supposed to come out. Yeah. We got a whole bunch of delayed movies just coming out recently this year, including Dune as, as well as yeah. the new James Bond. That's one I haven't seen yet. But yeah, this Yeah, this movie felt my overall impression was that it was it didn't it had a weird mix for me of feeling a lot of the time I felt like I kept feeling like the there hadn't been that much movie. Mm -hmm. But I had been watching the movie for, but it felt like I had been watching the movie for a very long time, and I kept thinking, kept thinking, not 
not a lot has happened but is this over yet <laughs> i had the opposite feeling i was just ready to get going as soon as the movie ended i was ready to take a break for intermission and then another two and a half hours to come by the ending sort of I, crept I, up on me i was so invested by the end of it i was very much like okay we've set up the cool shit now yeah. where's the cool shit yeah i get that but there were points in the movie where i'm like i'm like it feels like I've been here a while. Oh, there's still an hour left. Mm -hmm. There's still 45 minutes left. Oh, I, I totally get that. The, this is more about, yeah, world building and spectacle. How do you enjoy the, the... There's the very famous sort of sandworm attack on the crawler scene. Yeah. That one's sort of the big... You learn what this... What Arrakis is about. How harsh and unforgiving it is. As well as some, some character development with Duke Leto. Because he decides to save... Uh, the uh, risk the men on board his son's life and his you know friends' lives to try and save these strangers because that's what you do. That's if what he you does. Can you do? Again, pointing back to their within within the scope of the Dune universe, some of the more morally sound people. Yes, Duke Atreides. Plato Atreides, he cares about human life. He, he respects human life considerably more than the Harkonnens, who are sort of, you know, purely acquisitive, profit-driven, have no regard for, for human life or human suffering. Uh, whereas Plato Atreides is, you know, very, very diplomatic uh, and, and has a, you know, sense of value to human life. So, you know, a great personal expense ends up saving a whole bunch of these, these Fremen who are, who, who, are, uh, who are working the Sandcrawler. And uh, and um, the the sandworm attack, um, which is I think rendered so perfectly. Like in the books, this is like you know a big famous moment, and it's just rendered so so perfectly. You get you know Paul and uh, and Gurney Halleck hanging off the underside of the the ornithopter, just watching it be sucked in. And then the sandworm sort of sort of emerges, this giant yeah. four hundred meter long creature, you know the what the Fremen call Shai Halud. It's the incarnation of God on this planet. You know, it's God in physical form. And you know, seeing a creature like that, I, I I'm not surprised that you uh, that you have such a such an awe inspiring reaction to that. Their whole their whole existence. It's very it's very. It, spiritual and very i would say it's sort of inspired by the 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 sort of at oneness even though i'm not 100 percent sure that's a word but the at oneness with the land you live on that you yes from a lot of a lot of basically non-european and some european cultures but a lot of like Indigenous peoples in North America and indigenous peoples in South America and indigenous peoples in so many other parts of the world that that have such a had such a spiritual connection with the land that they lived on and benefited from it. It, it feels like it pulls from that. A lot. You hit the mark right on. Uh, Frank Herbert pulled a lot from um, sort of like Eastern mythologies, a lot of like Islamic and, and Middle Eastern uh, spiritualities and mysticism in his mm -hmm. in his work here. And another one of the themes you, you hit as well is ecology. It's how do these people live with the land? Harkonnens are conquerors, colonizers. They, they want to, you know, pervert the land to fit their own ends, whereas the Fremen are all about that sort of, sort of oneness, living in conjunction with the land, which is why they've developed all these 
techniques like the still suit, the way they walk across the sand, riding the sandworms, as we see in the end. Um, they they have a very different approach to uh, to 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 the world and to nature. And it's an interesting look that, unlike a lot of movies, there's a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows that would take a group of people like that, and they would have these all of these, they would be portrayed as these people who are thriving in this element through their oneness with the land, despite not having technology. But in this instance. They have some of the best technology. Yes. They they, they have the still suit. They they aren't your stereotypical these are the natives, they don't have the technology, but but we're actually gonna learn that technology no, they have the technology. They have the still suits. Which you see more they of have in the thumper later on, yes. The, that that is a super important like they they have they have use of technology and have just adapted the use of the most modern technology to fit with their culture and their way of being it's it's all about that idea of fitness exactly like everything that they do is is all about you know supreme effectiveness in living in this environment the harkonnens the atreides they don't match them you know they they have the ornithopters which is you know sort of about avoiding (laughs) avoiding Avoiding. the the extreme uh environments whereas the fremen sort of live with it on the ground um yeah i think that's spot on I don't I don't have a lot else on this movie, honestly. Was there anything else that stood out for you, sort of in in the later half after the after the betrayal? Because that's where a lot of things seem to happen at once. We get Paul's visions of the future, um, his war across the stars, which they sort of bury the lead. That's that's part of the part of the prophecy, yeah. part of what the Benny Gesserits are about is uh, is is they're sort of making a power play. Uh, yeah, it is clear. It was clear by the end that. That's what they're setting up for. Yes. The, the the whole the whole story of this movie was super important in setting up for a much grander story that I have for the most part just been referring to as the the impending holy war. Yes. Cause he, he and that's why I call him the Messiah. That's it's, exactly it's, what's going on. It's about to be these these highly spiritual people are about to embark on a holy war across the galaxy. And did you notice that uh, Paul, uh, the 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 um, the Fremen sort of myth about him being cultivated for generations? You know, he will appear to you from you know a stranger from the stars, and he will know your ways as if they were his own. All these little elements of their scripture are it's astroturfed. It's not natural. The Bene yeah. Gesserit got there generations ahead of time, and some are actually on the planet. Um, other than Lady Jessica, and have sort of cultivated this this mythology and sewn it across the Fremen. Mm-hmm. It's it's not this sort of natural scripture <laughs> thing. It's something that they've been they've been sewing for centuries. That, but, they but bury it, that lead quite quite a lot. Interesting, because the Fremen have their own name for what Jessica is a weirding woman. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's a role that that has significance in their 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 society. And again, it's all related to the spice. From from around the point that we're getting to there, there's the betrayal. The the they are with the Fremen, and then there's the whole duel. Yes. And somewhere in there, I can't remember. I have this really vivid image in my head of of someone has been stabbed. Yeah. And I don't remember if the image I have in my head is the is the the, the Fremen that he duels with. 
or if it's someone else, but someone gets stabbed. And the thing that really struck me was not the the the, the stab wound didn't shed blood. It shed water. water. That's where Doctor Kynes gets stabbed at the back. Yeah. Yes, from the still suit. Yes, and that that I was like, that's a really it's a really cool touch to have that because it 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 would it. Water is the lifeblood in this in this world. From 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 sort of yeah a uh, a symbolic point of view, there's that, but also the just it makes sense. The suit is supposed to be recycling your sweat, turning it into water, and storing it. If you stab through it, probably it would leak. Eventually, there should also be blood, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it it, it it makes sense, and I thought it was a really nice touch that they added that. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. I think that they did the best that they could with this movie. I think this was the best possible adaptation we we could have got. It has to be Dinas Villanueva. I think really understand understands the book, understands the characters, understands what's going on, and gave us a relatively digestible version of this story. Um, I I think he's absolutely needs to be applauded for it. I think he did such a good job with Blade Runner. Um, I actually think that the sequel... Which Blade Runner? 2049. I've not seen that yet. I strongly recommend it. I think it's definitely a better film than the first Blade Runner. I have seen the first one. Uh, yeah, the first Maybe one, I, I love that I love that film, but my God, is it boring? <laughs> Speaking of boring science fiction. But he, he understands those worlds. He understands what he needs to do with the characters and the world building. The way this movie is shot, it is just so stark, so immense... There's this weird, like, brutalism quality to the spaceships and the and the interiors. interiors. Like, all the interiors, there's 30-foot ceilings. It's like nothing but headroom. And the ships feel like these concrete zeppelins. They just yeah. sort of sort of float and descend. They're, they're... Things aren't ornate. It's all just, like, stark and brutal. And a lot of the ship design for, like, the ships that come down from space. And again, I guess, I don't know how much is pulled from him and how much is pulled from the descriptions in the book for the ships. Some of the descriptions in the book are just so light. He goes into like unbelievable detail when he's describing Paul's visions, but then you get stuff like the ornithopter. Bird-like. Yeah. Thanks, Fred Kerbert. Um, giving us all the details we need. But it... it The ships don't... didn't fall into that very sci-fi trope of... It's a spaceship. Let's make it aerodynamic. <laughs> You're in space, bud. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, it may need to land at some point, but it doesn't need to be, you know, if you've got interstellar travel at this point, you probably... It can, can be a giant concrete blimp. It works. It's yeah. not... And then, you know, there, there... Yeah. And there are plenty of other... There are plenty of other sci-fi that, that, that I love. Their ship designs, for a lot of them, are real dumb. Yeah. Real, like, you go into... There are ships in Star Wars that are real dumb. and There, there are, are a lot of in, fun designs, but in, in terms of, like, applying logic to it, they, it all falls apart. Star Wars has... Star Wars, and in my opinion, to a degree, not that things tend to get destroyed in this manner too much, but Star Wars and Star Trek, to some degree, I find, their ships have the issue of 
let's have a big part of the ship connected to another big part of the ship by a very skinny bit. <laughs> and hope that nobody shoots the skinny bit. Yeah, yeah. And Star Trek, it's rare until you, until you start getting, and even when you start getting into the movies and the later series where you start getting actual space like, combat. Not just actual space combat, because you get that a bit in the original series. You get that a bit in TNG. But the original series in TNG and a lot of them, you don't get much physical damage to the outside of the ship until you start getting into when crazy shit happens in the movies. Yeah, yeah. You don't get, like, actually seeing... Uh, when you're when the shields go down and you see a phaser strike across the ship, it takes a long while in Star Trek before they got to the point that that phaser carves a line through the ship, mm-hmm. right? Even in, in, in TNG, they get to, like, you hit, you, they, your, our shields are down. That means that when we get hit with a phaser, nothing's oh, going to break, yeah. but it's going to shake more. <laughs> and yeah, I, tears I, are going to throw themselves a little further. It's, it's fine. It's part of Star Trek. I get it. But if it weren't for that, I think... Yeah, that that's part of how they skirt around the fact that you look at the design of the Enterprise and a lot of the Star Trek ships. Their main energy source and mode of propulsion is attached very flimsily compared to <laughs> how the rest of the ships the, the 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 nacelles on on the Enterprise are attached by some pretty skinny bits and there's a lot of ships in Star Trek that do that. That 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 again or in Star Wars, sorry, that mm-hmm. also like are long and skinny engines at the back, big big hanging down thing. Star Wars is all about aesthetics, though. It's all about things looking cool and being able to sell mm-hmm. action figures. And, and I and, love the look of of ships in Star Wars. And Star Wars does do some really good thing, some really cool things in that, especially ships like the ships that the Rebels are using, and the sh- and and say the Millennium Falcon and the normal people. Not the Empire ships, mm-hmm. not the well-funded ships, are very hodgepodgey, bolted together, mm-hmm. and they look it. And it's yes, great. they feel lived in. That's the that's, best thing that, about the Star that's Wars. Very much the Star universe. Wars aesthetic, yeah. as opposed to the Star Trek aesthetic, which is, which is very much utopian, utopian clean, living standards. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, related to the general tradition of science fiction, Dune is more like what's usually called soft science fiction. It's closer to fantasy in a lot of ways because of all the presence of mysticism, the story, it's sort of a chosen one narrative, whereas, you know, things like Star Trek or books by people like Isaac Asimov, it's about it's about the details. It's about, you know, the sort of hard science and the rules about this and, you know, space phenomena, working mm-hmm. off these things, a lot more physics-based, whereas, you know, soft science fiction is, yeah, more in the vein of fantasy. It's more about crazy world building, um, you know, characters, there's elements of mysticism and seeming to be magic, as it seems to be the case in in Dune. There might be a scientific explanation for, like, the visions and stuff, but a lot of it is sort of hand-wavy as, you know, spice being psychoactive, active substance. There, there's there's quite a lot of hippie, hippieisms, which come across a lot more in the book that Frank Herbert incorporates. He, he, there's 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 a couple scenes in the book where it's like, yeah, dude, you're clearly on mushrooms when describing this. Or, this is clearly influenced by some sort of mushroom trip. It's the 60s. It's it absolutely is the 60s, and and Frank Herbert was no stranger to uh, 
to uh, to that to that particular movement. Indeed, he had a great deal of sympathy. That man was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. Um, he was big on environmentalism when it was not popular to do so. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of interviews that he did during the seventies where where he's you know he's 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 waving that banner well before Al Gore. Um, and that's 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 an interesting thing theme and one that comes up in the books imagine, a lot. Imagine being into environmentalism. Imagine, Gross. imagine. Halfway into November, and for the first time in my life, we're halfway into November with no snow. And <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they got a point there with the whole. Well, he did it when it wasn't trendy to do yeah. so, which is all the more respectable. Um, but that, yeah, that's one of the key themes in in dune and what what'll come up even more with with the fremen as as we get into the next next film but the colors in this movie like in stark contrast to uh dinas's uh 2049 blade runner film blade runner is so opulent like the colors are just so popping out at you like there are so many beautiful purples and pinks and blues and golden yellows and just these incredibly deep deep like rich scenes like the cinematography in that movie is eye-watering whereas in dune it's all brown it's all yellow it's all black and dark and and all these naturalistic desert colors there's there's like nary a green palm tree to be seen except on caladan which i think you know it's it's sort of caladan is the homeworld of the atreides and very much this british isles scotland kind of that's exactly like i legitimately you were talking about the scene with with the boy and his and the duke they're walking through it, these lush green fields with the, this overcast I, I, sky. I legitimately am thinking, I wonder, did, it looks like that was filmed in Scotland. Yes, that I think really it was. Does look it, like it looked it almost was. like Luke Skywalker's, like, you know, Jedi Island. We don't talk about that. It's it's a good se- it's a good setting. That's all, good that's setting. that's what I'll say on the matter. Um, <laughs> but getting back to doing the superior film. Oh, I don't disagree there. Holy shit. Um, it's. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's just so stark, and everything just feels so deep and epic. And there are all these like massive, like wide angle, almost like Stanley Kubrick style shots. We get like the landing of the Atreides on on Arrakis, and they like march through. It's this like regal procession, and everything's just so so wide and epic. And you have the music swelling. Um, did you notice the use of the bagpipes as part of the procession? Yes, I that's, did. That's I not in the. That was... I love that little detail because it suggests to me that, well, part of the reason why the Atreides probably chose Caladan is that it's similar to what they sort of grew up with. It's that I can imagine being like 8,000 years ago, like the Atreides can trace their lineage to like the Scottish Isles on Earth in some Didn't capacity. Didn't that connection, but I, I love that. And I think the bagpipes might be part of like a lingering cultural memory. Like this is something our ancestors did 10,000 years ago, and it's something that we've kept to some it, degree going forward. It definitely... The bagpipes, and I forgot to mention this, the bagpipes definitely felt like a a very good piece for setting the tone and the feel of the movie. Yeah. And just... Epic, stark, sort of alien. There are some familiar things in this movie, but the future feels alien. Yes. Like, this is unfamiliar. This is not a, a society or culture that values freedom. <laughs> this and... is This is a pretty repressive culture, and it's pretty, like role-based and there's like really no questioning of that even the the existence of hey there's here's this thing that's been around for a very long time in our real world time frame and it's still around like there's a link back to the past but at the same time and i i'm i i know essentially nothing about bagpipes it felt like they were playing them wrong 
it felt like that was part of setting that contrast was it they didn't sound right yes it yes. sounded weird they found they sounded alien this is what they might interpret bagpipes to sound like eight thousand years ago like eight thousand right? years of development towards like, wherever the hell they are now yeah they just weird yeah and there's there's an extreme lack of like animals in this universe. We get the sandworms, and we get the the little desert rats, and the one spider, the one and big the spider. spider thing. Yes, but what do they? Yeah, it's like man and man alone in this universe. What do they eat? Other than that one time we saw him eating porridge. Yeah, and, yeah, and drinking water. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> what do like, they eat in this universe? They really don't talk about that. What do they eat on Arrakis? Like there's sandworms and then there's desert mice and then that's that's about it. And the desert mice has a significant role in uh, in the later later films, big thematic role, especially to mm. Paul the Muad'Dib. I think is the name of the little little rat. What do they eat on Arrakis? I don't know. I mean, Baron Harkonnen <laughs> gets gets his fill, so uh, yeah. he must not be doing too badly. Yeah. Floating Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. How does he? How how does he float? I don't know. Like I I, I can't tell if that's supposed to be like his psychic ability. Is it, I don't think it's psychic. Or, or it's it something it to do with like a like... spinal implant. Maybe it's to do with magnets. How, how do they I, work? Who I knows? Hate, I, I I you're supposed to hate him, and I do. <laughs> he's disgusting. You're, you're and supposed exactly. And... He's he's like the manifestation of of greed and uh, and double dealing. It's uh he's he's quite an imposing villain. In the David Lynch version, he has all these like sores and pustules over his face, meaning making him extra disgusting. He's also very creepy to his own family members, but in this he has enough like horrifying yeah, just bearing like, of Pizza the Hut. It's great. Pizza the Hut. Especially the like bathing in what <laughs> bathing in what I can only describe the crude as, oil? as crude oil black tar basically that's like. that's great I, I we i saw that in theaters and immediately thought oh this is what ralph klein dipped himself in <laughs> oh, he was he was premier crude oil shipped straight up from fort mcmurray yeah we, we sure it's it's an albertan salt bath it's it's fine yeah. that's what our spas look like here in alberta actually mm-hmm. i've never been to one so i wouldn't know i guess you, you got to take a crude bath one of these days it's 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 heavenly I'll take your word for it. Um, yeah, I think that's that's just about everything I had to say about Dune. I I love the performances. I love the direction. I think this is one of the most unique and interesting science fiction movies of like the 21st century. I I I love the world. I love the characters, and I can definitely see if you're not familiar with it, you might not be as invested. But if you're interested in science fiction and uh, or or even slightly in the book, I, I strongly strongly recommend checking it out. Uh, ideally, on the biggest movie screen you can find. I think big yes, biggest best quality. Um, I have it. I have a copy that is very high quality that I watched. Uh, I think s- with a lot of movies like this good sound something that people overlook a lot is good sound quality yeah um i get pretty decent sound quality out of my not stupidly expensive but my nicer headphones there are some scenes in this movie that i found kind of difficult to understand in theaters like 
you know, uh, at the beginning when, when Lady Jessica is sort of doing her, her prayer, when, when Paul's undergoing the trial, you can't really make out what she's saying. You know, that's, I think, something that could benefit from having, like, watching it with subtitles. Yes. <laughs> or maybe a non-movie theater uh, sound mixing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that was just my theater experience. Some Some theaters do suffer from... And my setup here for movies with people with the projector and everything also suffers from, depending how it's mixed and how you're decoding it. And and an extreme version is you know you're watching you're watching a show, and you're like, you're watching a show and you keep turning it up and you keep turning it up because you can't hear him, you can't hear him, you can't hear him. Show ends, goes to credits, and the music is absolutely blaring. It <laughs> deafens you. Christopher Nolan has entered it, the chat. And it's it's the it's the mixing of. If your system isn't set up right, so the, the voice normally comes out the center channel because it is, or for the most part, the center channel, and your center channel speaker is normally tuned for human vocal range, whatever, it that. And if that's not done right, or your system is trying to do that, but you don't have a center channel, you're on a stereo setup, or however, that can l make the vocals more muddied. And the, it, it, yeah, there's a lot of aspects to it. Mm -hmm. That's why I generally... For a lot of movies, the, I enjoy most at my computer with my nice headphones. My my Plex does a pretty good job of mixing, of like dealing with that and mixing it down to stereo nicely. The sound quality is good. If it's real loud in some parts, as long as it's not so loud that it's like actually deafening an issue, I'm not worried about disturbing anybody else because it's headphones. My monitor has pretty good color and I'm sitting close enough that a 32-inch monitor is nice and big. And yeah, but, I, I've um, always just loved watching movies with subtitles on just because of weird sound quality that, that you get sometimes for sure. I don't know if it's just me getting older, but subtitles are the way to go, man. But yeah, getting back to it, would you recommend Dune or who would you recommend Dune to? I would recommend it to people who are willing to try. You have to be willing to give it a chance to think about it. To try and understand it. Yeah. Because there's a lot there that is very enjoyable. Especially if you're the kind of person that will watch it. Go, that was all right. I feel like there's more. Let me watch it again. It's Let one of those. It third it's time, it's right? dense. It's thought provoking. If you like sort of conceptual world building style fantasy or sci-fi, I think you'll absolutely love it. If you're familiar with Dune already, go see it. You'll absolutely love it. Everyone I know who knows Dune, like, saw this day one. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, maybe you'll find something you like. Dune is one of the most yeah. famous, I think it's the best-selling science fiction book of all time. So, you're missing out if you don't check it out. So, yeah, that, uh, you know, minute, almost two minutes over, which I was not expecting for Dune. I was expecting a short one. Uh, but with that, that is it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back in a little bit. As I said in the last episode, I, the same day, we're recording these back-to-back. -back. We still don't know what the full schedule is, so you'll know by the time you listen to this what the schedule is. So the next episode will be out sometime, and the next episode will be on a very different kind of science fiction. We will be watching the original Total Recall yes. starring The Governator. So if you want to watch that and tune in, please do, and we will... One of the best movies of the 90s. I'll just flat sure. out lead with that. Sure. We'll talk about that. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll we'll talk at you next time. <laughs> <laughs>